Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media, and a contributing columnist on CIO.com, where I write about boardroom strategies for technology leaders. Twice a month, we produce this show, CIO Leadership Live, with the generous support of CIO.com and our friends in the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and YouTube, and we very much welcome all of our viewers to join in this conversation today with questions of your own. We'll be watching for those and doing our best to pass them along to our esteemed guest, who today is Jamie Holcomb. He is the Chief Information Officer and Chief Privacy Officer of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Jamie joined the agency in early 2019, and he serves as the principal advisor to the Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property. He also directs the USPTO's ongoing technology transformation work. Based in Alexandria, Virginia, the USPTO employs more than 13,000 people, many of them engineers, scientists, attorneys, analysts, and of course, IT specialists and they're all dedicated to protecting U.S. intellectual property rights. The basic role of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office has been the same for over 200 years, with its mission spelled out in Article I, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution. Before his current role, Jamie was the Vice President and General Manager for Harris Caprock Critical Networks, a managed security services firm. He's also spent more than 20 years in commercial and government contracting markets and in various leadership roles in both large Fortune 500 companies as well as two startup technology firms. Jamie, it's great to have you here. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mary Fran. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yes, yes, me too. We've known each other for a long time, and it is always a great and entertaining exchange of ideas. So let's start out with a few surprising facts that people may not realize about the USPTO, which on LinkedIn calls itself, the tagline is America's Innovation Agency. Tell us a little bit about what most of us probably don't know about the USPTO. I love that tagline because the innovation comes in in the applications. And what we need to do is be innovative inside the walls as well. Mm -hmm. Some of the things you might not know about the USPTO or patents in general, the number one patent was signed by our first president, George Washington, for something called potash, which is actually fertilizer and how apropos for our country to start out with the number one patent being fertilizer, an agricultural nation. So it's really great. And it, you know, there's a couple of other things. Uh, we're unique in the federal government in that we're an independent agency. And one of the things about our independence is we do not use one lick of taxpayer money. We are fee funded. And I always say to people, fees equal taxes. And I have a fiduciary to the fee payers, not necessarily the taxpayer. The mm -hmm. fee payers, patent applicants, trademark applicants, as well as the intellectual property community of lawyers and the whole industry involved mm -hmm. with protecting individual rights. Interesting. And I would say the third and final surprise is that when I walked in, I can't believe it. You know, I've been in the government a long time. 
And the fact of the matter is most of the time when you have 20, 25 years of tenure, mm-hmm. you retire or you do something else. My goodness, 35 and 40 years is the average here at the USPTO. And there's a reason. It's a great place to work. And it's a great challenge. We are the engine of growth for America's economy. And we want to keep that moving forward. Well, that's that's cool. And I know we're going to talk a lot more about that and some of the innovation engine activities you've had that you've been ramping up since you got there. It's almost three years now, right? February of 2019. Okay. All right. Let's let's go up to I'm very fond of an initial helicopter view question where we go up and talk about the impact and the challenges of this ongoing pandemic. You had some very interesting data that you shared when we talked earlier about how things in the beginning of the pandemic the the spike you saw in patent applications, for instance, how some of that has changed now. Tell us about that kind of interesting, that roller coaster data you've been assessing. We were really surprised at first when the pandemic occurred because we did see that spike in patent applications. Mm -hmm. Thinking, wow, people are stuck at home. Maybe they're putting all their great ideas down on paper and saying, why not try to apply? Mm -hmm. So that was However, we saw a drop in trademark applications and we're like, what's going on here? And it mostly was the fact, I think, that people were retrenching. Small businesses and other businesses weren't thinking that the trademarks were valuable in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so what we've seen since is a total reversal of those applications. Now, I'm going to say that patents has dived off. I am going to say that they're maintaining levels of like years, like prior years. Trademarks, my goodness, it has gone through the roof. And that is due to the fact that people understand that in a pandemic, the online business is so valuable. And the way to differentiate yourself in a business sense is through your logos and your trademarks and your intellectual So we've seen a huge spike in trademarks, and we're trying to catch up on the backlog of that. Well, and you'd mentioned, too, that that actually led to the creation of a position for a chief economist. We did. We always had a chief economist, but now we really need that data analytics to Mm -hmm. ensure that we knew what the data was telling us. We are a data-driven agency, and we don't make decisions on intuition. We make decisions on analytic and scientific fact. And I love that about this agency. We're not driven by bureaucracy. We're we're driven by productivity in quality and in time. One of the things that I'm trying to bring to the PTO is the entire commercial atmosphere of better, cheaper, and faster. It always seems the government is always trying to do better. That's never in question. But the cheap faster part always become a little odd because, oh, we'll get that done no matter what. Well, it takes years. No, the problems of sunk costs and investments often come to fore in government work. Okay. We're going to make this thing through no matter what, and yet you're throwing good money after bad. Mm. And so the idea of the sunk cost, look, yes, learn from your failures, but don't keep feeding a failure. Starve it. Only feed success. How do you know success without breaking a couple of eggs? You have to fail fast. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've tried to bring in as well. 
uh, those commercial best practices into the USPTO. Yeah. Well, good. Well, let's dive into that and talk a bit more. I know we mentioned that there were more than 13,000 people that are employed um, at the Patent and Trademark Office. Tell us about the size and scope of your IT organization and what kind of a, you've been there now almost three years, and I know just from, from our past history, you like to change things up a lot. So uh, tell us what you've been up to in terms of the ongoing transformation that you are, that you're steering the agency through now. Yeah, I think there's a huge cultural change, a shift within the uh, IT realm at the USPTO and it's even occurring during the pandemic. No matter what, we've continued our journey and path forward. We have 700 federal IT workers and about 1,600 contractors for mm -hmm. 2,300 people that we have across four product lines. Mm -hmm. um, they are trademarks, patents, back office business, and IT and infrastructure. Now, before came on board, there were business units and IT did a lot of projects. And there were over 150 projects that had stop times. And it was a very herky-jerky budget year. Got to start up, got to do this, got to do that. And it wasn't really delivering the value that the business units wanted. Hmm. So I came in and we created a product management. I got rid of the project management office and created the actual delivery office. Okay. And it, it's not just a change of name. It's a change of attitude and philosophy. Instead of projects, we now have products. Mm -hmm. So I said there were four product lines. We have about 30, three zero products, about seven per product line. An example of a product is patents. And in that patent search team, they do all the applications that are necessary to find whether or not a patent application is unique and novel. And so there's a lot of work being done. Mm -hmm. Every product is owned by a product owner from the business, not from IT. Of course, the IT person, architect, software engineer is right beside that business owner but the business owner is making the decisions based on its advice from the IT architect. And then you have the whole team of developers and testers and quality assurance and security in the agile DevSecOps model. It's not so good just doing agile, right? That's a checklist. We need to be agile. And so we're trying to influence the product teams to come in and become agile through scale. Yeah. We had a lot of success in the early times, and that's what it takes to get a cultural shift moving is those small wins. Yeah. Once those small wins occurred, now we have to go through the really hard work of scaling success. And there's been a lot of bumps along the way, but that mm -hmm. culture of those people and how we're doing business for the students is a big deal. Mm -hmm. One of the big things is mission accomplishment. A lot of times people don't realize their efforts and how they contribute to the actual mission. What do we do? We award patents and we register trademarks, period. And if you can't figure out how your IT job fits into that mission, then we have to have a discussion because you're 
foolish. You're not really doing your job. So one of the things I did was I handed out in the military fashion the USPTO coins. And in the coins, things I say is mission first. All right. And so that mission first, everybody's like, yeah, how do I get that thing done? How do I get the award of a patent? How do I get the registered trademark? Doing it better, cheaper, and faster. So I'm a network engineer and I've been working at the USPTO for say the last 10 years. Um, my workday now is very different. I'm working on these agile teams. I know more of the people on the business side. How's, what's some of the reality on the ground like for some of your IT specialists? I love it because everybody has a perspective and you have to realize each other's perspective and put each other in each other's shoes to best understand how to tackle the problem. And it's not just one range and another. There's a whole 360 of this. And I love as a network engineer during his product days would go, and I've heard this actually at the line level. They just understand. It's hard to do what they just asked me to do. Yeah. They don't know all the technology involved and what they're asking. And one of the things that I've always come back and said is, isn't it good to know that they don't understand? And now you have to explain it to them in business terms yeah. to the where your grandmother can understand what you're doing and just <laughs> explaining it to your grandmother what you do for a living take that same attitude and put it to the business owner say okay look in order for you to get this i need to ensure that we have internet connectivity that routes very efficiently and has the bandwidth needed for the large transactions that are going on okay. what what's happening is your applications are coming in and they're getting larger and larger every day requiring all sorts of digital certi certification as well as signature authority and ensuring the security of the cyber transactions back and forth in your office actions alone we have to ensure that those connections are secure so that you can be assured that you're talking who you're talking to and that you're actually conducting work efficiently mm -hmm. and see is the explanation from a network engineer on what they're trying to do. Okay. And a great example about how everyone contributes to the bottom line, whether you're a network engineer, a tester, quality assurance, cybersecurity, operations and maintenance, upgrading the Oracle. It doesn't matter. You have to be there in order for it all to work together. Okay. Now let's talk about that. Um, you'd mentioned that you've got 25, probably 30-year-old systems there. Uh, you had even mentioned there was some client-server stuff in industrial production right now, but that the internet kind of sped by the patent and trademark office front door, what did you say, at 100 miles an hour, and PTO never caught up. So how do you balance those two big challenges as the CIO and the chief privacy officer? Yeah, that's a great question. The first part of resolution is uh, admitting that you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Step one, right? Yes. And I think that the fact that the PTO, the Patent and Trademark Office, could go so long and complete the mission without worrying about this internet thing, without <laughs> worrying about the cloud, without worrying about anything, because it in and of itself has done a great job in pendency, in awarding patents, Registering trademarks. 
What are you talking about? It doesn't matter. Yeah. The bottom fell out. Huh? What happened was there was a large outage for about 11 days where the patent examiners and oh. some trade examiners could not actually do their work. Can you imagine 9,000 people waiting to do work and they can't do it for 11 days? That is crazy. It's not acceptable. And so resiliency part came in. The backups didn't work as expected. And it's mostly because no one ever said, guys, we need to maintain this. We need to check and make sure we're okay. We need to change the oil. Mm -hmm. It the whole thing about 20 years, right? You can't keep using your old Ford F-150 if it can't hold the load. And it's been asking them bigger and bigger loads because everything outside of the PTO is moving at breakneck speed, doing all these grand new things. So now we have to introduce emerging technology mm -hmm. and the things that buy along with solidifying and ensuring that your operations are solid. So the first thing we did was we had to invest in the core stability of what we had in that client server network. Okay. We did right before the pandemic. Talk about being lucky. Oh my, my goodness. goodness. Huh? Yeah. I would rather be that than, you know, anyway, lucky is good. So what were you thinking? <laughs> well, and you had mentioned those systems being down. A lot of it was because they were so integrated and coupled with one another, which that has, you know, how the pendulum swings in our industry. And we go from all centralized to all decentralized to halfway back to, you know, it's always moving that way. Um, the how, what are some of the ways you've used to build up or even shore up some of that resiliency uh you, for instance you probably have more than one erp system to deal with i'm guessing okay so tell us how very true what kind of things are you doing to bring those into the modern age i know you have um, a term for the method you use on this it's it's rather entertaining Yes, I'll get to that. So maybe I'm keeping people in suspense, but the okay. fact mm -hmm. there is no right answer. Centralized, decentralized, there's only an optimal answer. And I do think that most people have realized that the ERP of 10, 15 years ago has resulted in an entanglement or a tightly coupled uh, operation such that if one thing goes down, there's a domino effect and it affects all the others. And that tight integration is not so good when you're talking about continuity of operations. Right. So because of that, what we're doing is we're decoupling that system that failed for 11 days. Mm -hmm. It is nasty tangling of all these different systems. Does it work? Yeah, it works really well. But when one goes down, like dominoes, the others fall. Okay. So doing is a stranglehold method and we're trying to put our arms around this big beast yeah. and then through a stack from the bottom to the top we'll stave off a part of it and let that part act independently okay. from what prior to was the erp once that stack is able to independently we could create a microservice on that side right. and we're able to pull apart the different entanglements Easier said than done, especially when you're talking about 20-year-old client-server architecture. Right. However, we're approaching it with gusto, and it is a big challenge. 
I love the fact that it's DevSecOps. And if you're developing it, you have to operate it. It's no longer throwing it over the wall. Right. It's, oh, I don't care. It worked when I had it. No, it's everybody <laughs> together, operating this thing for as long as you're maintaining, you know, whatever yeah. you design, you're going to operate You're left with it. So that yeah. also provides the ability to operate 24 seven without touching it because the developers don't want to get back to operations. They want to make sure the thing works without them. Yeah. yeah. Did you, in the, the way you were approaching this as you came in in early 2019, did you reorganize the groups or are they still, cause I remember it used to be, you know, like build, run and operate used to be the classic three ways IT organizations would run. Um, how would you describe the way you are, the way you've reorganized the Patent and Trademark Office? So maybe the most proud thing we've done or I accomplished is the new term called people to teams. Okay. And I started out two years ago now, and I said, wouldn't it be great if you could just walk in, raise your hand and say, you know, I have these skills. I want to be on that team over there because that's what I'm really interested in doing. Okay. And so that was the challenge that I gave to my, my HR folks. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what they have come to four. We have now a people to teams concept where we're not going to uh, dissect or tear apart the old HR systems for general service, government services workers. All right. The okay. is going to stay there. HR org is going to stay like it is. But the commercial practice of matrix management is what we're introducing. Mm -hmm. So people teams, although HR wise, you're assigned to the development staff mm -hmm. in daily detail. You're detailed into a team where your job is to develop that. And so you have these different organizations where the HR and your development leader, he now becomes the recruiter to make sure that you have the credentials and the right attitude for the team. He becomes more, much more of a HR person trying to make sure he's filling the right teams with the right people for the right mission. And it really is great because that's how the HR side, that triangle is taking care of the business. Meanwhile, the business is delivering on the products the better, cheaper, and faster. So it's really well, and we're doing great. We're making great strides in better, cheaper, and faster. Okay. Well, and you had mentioned too that um, when we were talking about infrastructure, that there was a lot of kind of a lot of serendipity. You had went out and got a lot more bandwidth than you needed right around January 2020, right before era, the world changed. Uh, you know, a month or two later. Tell us about the existing infrastructure now and where you're headed with it. Thanks for bringing that up. I got to say that I was so impressed with some of the government services. What do I mean? Everyone thinks that, oh, the commercial world maybe most likely will be able to provide it better than any government could. Mm -hmm. And I'm a government agency. And I'm telling you, no, there are certain things that the government does that's phenomenal. One of them, of course, is delivering weather data to where it's needed to run the models to influence people and say, you better watch out, take cover now because this tornado is coming over, the hurricane's coming, prepare and so forth. That is all done by the National Oceanic Administrative Agency. 
So <laughs> NOAA has created a great system called N-Wave. And the N-Wave uses the old dark fiber in I-2, the dark fiber that connects all the universities. Mm-hmm. And it lit up that dark fiber and it operates it for the satellite shots in order to get that massive amount of data to the weather uh, stations and mm-hmm. to the data down on the ground so they can get it to the right people. Well, they've also created a service that they're offering to other government agencies where we can use that unused bandwidth. And I've full advantage of that. Mm-hmm. I have four times the bandwidth at one third the cost. How do you beat that? <laughs> it's no, pretty hard to. Yeah. Where is that? Yeah. And that's just the infrastructure, right? There's so yeah. many more infrastructure out there. And as an example, we need to ensure that we're using the commercial side as best we can. Mm-hmm. We are a big AWS shop, but we're also going to be using uh, GCP, Google Cloud Platform. Okay. We want types of applications, if they're able, to be moved out into the cloud so that we don't have to keep reinvesting in the infrastructure. That That's a commercial use of our fees. And remember, I don't use taxes, I use fees. And I have a fiduciary to ensure that I get better, cheaper, and faster for those fee payers. Okay. And um, it sounds like the work that you've been doing, um, It's, I mean, you're having tremendous results. It sounds like it would also take a tremendous amount of budget support. Tell us, what can you tell us about the budget you're working with? And I assume they didn't just give you an open checkbook and say, have at it, Jamie. (laughs) Not at all. In fact, it was, how can you keep this on par and improve? Okay. And that is a tough road to hoe in the government because in order to get out of a mess, normally you need investment. Mm -hmm. So what we decided to do is not only move to those product teams, but then hold the product teams accountable for what the priorities are. All right. Then you produce your prioritized list and you budget out the year. I apologize. I don't want to um, say that, you know, government budgeting is bad, but it doesn't work for me. All right. I'll just say from my viewpoint, because if anybody thinks that they can figure out what's going to happen three or five years in the future, I don't believe they're telling the truth. Okay. So mm-hmm. trade on the first year out and we'll do our, uh, our epics. We'll do our priorities based on what we can do each quarter. Now, if you can save any amount of dollars through operations of maintenance, through somehow, not cost avoidance, but you show me based on your budget outline that you save this amount of money doing these type of things, the next year I will give you that savings in investment. Okay. And what you can do is you can invest back into it and even create more opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that's maximum allowable. I called it the closet theory, where if I'm giving you a big closet, you're going to fill it. If I give you a small closet, yeah, you're going to fill it, but obviously not that much can fit in. And Mm -hmm. only things that matter are going to fit in. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have to adapt and adjust. Why is that? Well, we just had a change of administration. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things that change as far as priorities. Of course an adaptive and flexible system, you have to be able to change those priorities that you're delivering on in time on the spot. Yeah. One of the great things about the commercial world is everything is done quarter by quarter. 
Yeah. And if you can't yeah. make progress within 30, 60, or 90 days, I know you don't know what you're doing. So if you fail in 90 days, that's great because it's a fast fail. Do something different. And if you succeed, we'll keep on feeding that success every quarter. Mm-hmm. So you get more and more success. So that's how we're doing the budgeting. We're saving and we're trying to invest at the same time. Yeah. How have some of those, now you've got me intrigued, what has changed under the Biden administration for uh, the USPTO in terms of priorities? Anything significant you can share with us? Yes. Oh, I can't wait. to. It goes to your budgeting question. So (laughs) our budgeting in the January and February timeframe of 2021, and that was to submit for FY22, of course, right? You got to be prepared. Everything was ready by May. We had our stuff straight. Everything was great. Uh-oh, 12 May, 2021, the president order, uh, issues an executive officer, uh, executive order, mm-hmm. cybersecurity. Well, you need to do this, 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 this. I go around with my colleagues. I try to talk inside. I talk outside. We mm-hmm. figure out what we really need to do to make this real, and we put a, together another adaptive budget to what we had already submitted. Uh-huh. And so went through the throes of in the second quarter of this fiscal year, we'll start executing on those new goals. We're not going to change what we already decided to do in this quarter, 90 days. Keep your head down. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. But as soon as January 1 comes, the cyber uh, ethics have changed and we need to adjust to that. So within 90 to 181 days, what we can do after those changes, I'll tell you another one. The administration has just uh, nominated our next director and undersecretary of intellectual property. Her name is Kathy Vidal. Mm-hmm. Now, anticipate that Kathy will also have her own goals and objectives. And our system is now set up to adapt to those as soon as she lets us know what they are. Mm-hmm. So you have an adaptive, agile system. It's not just the process. It's actually being agile and trying to think of these new innovative ways. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about that, too, because you've thrown around agile and then DevSecOps. And it's uh, it's great when companies can get to that. But I think, as you pointed out, you can't you can't just do that by fiat. There has to be a whole lot of training. You have to culturally be ready to do these things. Talk about some of the ways that you made that land with people and not you know, not crush them with a whole bunch of different expectations that they maybe couldn't meet to. How, how have you uh, enabled that transition? You know, there's nothing that wins people over rather than winning. If you keep winning, you keep winning, right? Yeah, everybody so, likes that, that, yeah. Yes. So you have to have small wins, and you have to prove at the line level that this can actually work. It can't just be an academic exercise Oh, yeah, these are those high fluting ideas. No, you have to get down, roll up your sleeves, and show people how it works. Therefore, at ADO, the Agile Delivery Office, one of the greatest things that it's done for the organization is it provides dojo training sessions. What? Oh, come on, you're not doing martial arts. Knock it off. No, but we are teaching people how actually to do things as a team using DevSecOps and agility. So they go through a two to three month assignment where we're giving them real applications. They're just not the applications. All right. So if we do fail, 
it'll fail small and it, we're okay. But if it does succeed, then we'll keep on moving, using that and scaling on that success. Mm-hmm. We've had over 100 dojos and it's done very well throughout the organization to spread that cultural shift. Mm-hmm. I also give these oh. things out as coins. They're poker yep. chips. As you know, the federal government does not allow you to do a lot of marketing things. So out of my own pocket, you know, I pay for these poker chips. They're not very expensive, but boy, you can get them out and they are a reminder to do a cultural shift. And in that cultural shift, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to act now, be bold and simplify. Okay. So, you know, everything's done in three, red, yellow, green, one, two, three, have priorities, do things. And I know it's sort of, management by cliche but it actually works it, i mean if you believe in it it actually works well and that that's great and i know you have a really uh, a good example to talk about a function called the p tab which is unique to the u.s patent trademark office what is that all about so the patent trials and appeals board mm-hmm. is a where um, patents, applications, award, and um, justification or appeal, you, when you're appealing, it's actually a U.S. federal court within the USPTO. What? Yes, we actually run U.S. courts. Mm-hmm. We run them for trials and appeal board as well as the trademark trials and appeals board. Yes, we have judges on our staff. Yes, we have attorneys on our staff who actually prosecute and do these trials and appeals. Mm-hmm. So what happened was the PTAB was using Excel spreadsheets and pretty much Microsoft SharePoint. Okay, along with that, it's just very manual and very intensive for hours of work and yeah. painstaking on the eyes. Anybody who's done it knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It's hard to this is that, and you're you're comparing data elements. You get weary. Humans are very wearyful. I mean, we have to sleep, have to eat. Just one of those things. Yeah. Anyway. What we did was we created the product teams and we have a lead product owner now for the PTAB. And based on that, they can automate and do their own applications rather than having to go off of others. And so the whole DevSecOps came to the PTAB and it was accepted with open arms because finally we're getting some traction here. We're not at the end of all the 150 projects that used to be. They're front and center because they're taking care of their own. And they have the technology leaders from CIO now. We gave them some great assets with developers and everything else. And they feel empowered to do the work that's required. And they've created a number of automated systems now that are helping their docket as well as their lawyers become much more efficient and effective, better, cheaper. Mm -hmm. Okay, I know you've used you've used that a lot. That actual phrase um, it actually reminds me of Charles Duhigg's book, "Better, Cheaper, Faster," which I've been listening to lately. Um, the when we talk about the top priorities that you have coming for the next year, and I know you get asked this a lot in other interviews, and you reel off your top four: cybersecurity, cloud smart, resilience, and emerging technologies. Let's circle around cloud smart and and tell us more about 
uh, how you decide what you're moving to the cloud. Um, I think I saw some reference that you, you there were over 200 vital applications when you got there. And uh, as we all know, you can't just shut things down. So uh, how many of those move to the cloud and, and tell us, we'll talk more about all those, those big four, especially the emerging technologies, but let's circle around cloud smart right now. What does that mean to you as the CIO? So that's great question, and we'll get right to the applications. As you said, over 200, right? Mm -hmm. Well, wait a second. You get an inventory. You have to figure it out. So we had a discovery of what these applications really are and how able, or I'm sorry, what they really are based on criticality and function, right? Mission. Mm -hmm. We have 26 mission critical apps. So they were red. That's what we have to concentrate on. That's our core. Yeah. Then we, well, I don't know, eighty to a hundred that are yellow and that, that are they need them, but you don't need them right away. And then of course we had green, which these are nice to have. We can get them elsewhere. Okay. All right. So there's the categories and priorities, pretty much. Then we scored red, yellow, green. What does that mean? We took the ability to say how easy is it to go to the cloud based on your current platform. Green, yellow, and red. Green means very little, if any, you could just push it out. Most of the newer applications that were developed in the last five years were able to go out into the cloud. Mm -hmm. And we went to AWS and used a lot of their new services. So there's a pilot out there. People are finding out. All these things are going on simultaneously. And that requires a lot of collaboration and transparency. People yeah. need to know what you're doing and what the results were in order for their work to say, hey, we need to follow that or, hey, I would never do that. All right. So that was those things, collaboration and transparency. On the yellow side, when you score an application as yellow, you need to refactor it. It's, it's not going to work in the cloud. And those are the um, really tough ones because they can go, but it takes a lot of work. And finally, you have the red ones to score you're never going to put algal out on the web. It's always going to remain on-prem until you can get rid of the darn thing. Yeah. So because we had these red applications. What we decided to do was have another data center in Manassas. That would be our resiliency. And those things that we have to keep in, we'd keep in Alexandria and Manassas. Mm -hmm. Everything we have a target to push out to the cloud. Okay. And that's what we're doing right now. Now, is this, and this obviously is part of a data center strategy. Do you have one huge, massive federal type data a data center, or is it the two, one in Alexandria and the other one in Manassas? Well, I will say OMB loved us because we had the most consolidated data center in all of government. Oh. There was, okay. <laughs> and it was located at Alexandria. All right, that's great. No, it's not. <laughs> What happens if that blows up? Yeah. And that's what happened. I told you about the Palm incident and the fact that we were down for 11 days. Mm -hmm. Most because they couldn't bring it back up in our old facility back up in Boyers, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we tried to do it again and try to use Boyers, what existed, to actually run operations. When we found we couldn't do it, that's when we went on a search for a second alternative processing site. And that's what Manassas became. So now we have the hot, hot, where we can go Alexandria and or Manassas. Mm -hmm. And then 
out to the cloud with our applications and ensure that all those applications have a backup site as well. Okay. Because moving to the cloud, one of the criteria is you must have continuous operations and it shouldn't be in the same physical site. Right. Okay. Well, we got a uh, question from our watching and waiting audience here. And I think they'd like to, it's, what are they moving to the cloud? I think maybe a little more detail and an example of uh, an application or two that is definitely, that got that green light on it to move to the cloud. Well, the easiest one that comes to my mind is uspto.gov. Hey, it's our front end. We use <laughs> okay. on-prem. And recently, only over this past summer, we pushed it out to the cloud. And there was trepidation. Fear was all over the world. But it worked. And the guys did a really great job. It's amazing what happens when you put your full faith and confidence behind them, as well as the resources. You can't just say, do it. You have to be there. You have to give them the time, the money, and the ability, the competence to get it done. I was so proud of the team because they got it done. So we push things like USPTO.gov out there okay. and in time. Wow. Well, the amount of work you've been doing here has actually prompted another question about how long does it take to decommission an application? How do you see what those apps are connected to in order to ensure that there are not, we don't have a visitation of those, what was it, nine days that it was down or 11? It was 11 days. 11. Yeah. All right. So what's what's your process there? So unfortunately, the answer is it all depends upon the complexity of the application. Mm -hmm. We have one application, which is an event hub. And this event hub takes in all of the different points and tries to shoot out the messages to where it needs to go. That thing is so complex. We really need to take the time to understand mm -hmm. how it and we need to document that all. On the other hand, if we just have a reference source, we can put that table out someplace in a day and make sure it works and integrates right. It all depends upon the complexity. The thing is not to accept, I don't know, as an answer. Okay. The fact is you have to know exactly what your application does. And not just you. Oh, that's for the tech guys. No, it's also for the business guy. Does he have to understand the ins and outs of integration points and APIs? Heck no. But he does need to understand this product is dependent upon that product. That's We need to get this from here. Our customers are not going to be able to see it if it goes down here. They need to understand the consequences of the technology, not just not the APIs. Well, when you think of some of those um, decommissioned applications and things you were able to move maybe to microservices, does any does any one of them stand out as kind of the most audacious move, the most challenging move? And one when you were done, you were like, oh, I should probably retire. This was amazing that we got this done. <clears throat> I will go back to when I first got on to the USPTO. Okay. Because I got there in February. Mm -hmm. And by the end of April, we had actually transitioned that bad the Palm, from one platform to another that was more up to date and uh, supportable. Yeah. But when they when we took it off the old one, nobody knew what because they had never done it before. So everything yeah. was like this. Oh, I hope it doesn't blow up. <coughs> and we had a good mm -hmm. plan. 
they told me it would take until July 4th instead of April. Mm -hmm. uh, well, wait a minute. You didn't include the weekends and the holidays, did you? Oh. Mm -hmm. And so people need to be taken out of their comfort zone and they need to be challenged. And the team, I knew the team could do it because they're, a, yep. they're competent engineers. They're, you know, you, you, you size up people within 30 or 60 days, you know what you got after that. Right? Excuse me. And I realized it's just the fact that they hadn't been challenged the right way. They might've been challenged a lot of other ways, like just follow and do what I'm telling you to. That never works, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is you've got to let people grow and do what they want to do. And that's a problem with the government. A lot of times you have the authoritarian command and control. That work with small short-term things in the military but it definitely doesn't work in the corporate world the people need to know why they're doing what they're doing and how they can help then it all just falls into place it's amazing how easy it is once you've done your job as a leader to make sure people know why good well i i often think that clear purpose and then genuine appreciation goes so far with employees and coworkers and business partners in almost any direction. It seems so. I feel like during the pandemic, especially, um, everyone has kind of rediscovered how important empathy and relationships are. And it's, you know, CIOs these days are not afraid to talk about the soft skills. You know, if anything, <clears throat> if anything, they want to talk about them more because they're so central to any kind of cultural change. Um, I wanted to talk about another aspect of your cultural change there uh, as you were pivoting from those 150 plus projects to the 30 business product fo focus and you call it the new ways of working. Is that NWOW or just NWOW? How do you pronounce that? NWOW? NWOW. NWOW. Okay. And that this has been a real fuel for team innovation. Uh, tell us more about that. And uh, in a lot of ways, I mean, intellectual property being on the front lines of that innovation is kind of your bread and butter, you know, being in the intellectual property industry. So tell us about uh, how you got NWOW going and uh, what sort of, you know, that people to teams. I know you mentioned that already, but some of the... Um, I don't know, the, the hints the hints and advice you have about how to make a strategy like that not only work, but really resonate with the people that you're asking to, you know, engage in these new ways of working. Exactly. It is a cliche, but it's a shorthand version for, I get it, you're not getting it. So when you say, wait a second, you're doing that according to the old ways of working, mm -hmm. it means getting the new agile agility DevSecOps because all about the team and not about the person. The problem with many organizations is they sub-optimize at the staff delivery level. You have the best finance department. You have the best HR department. You have the best IT department. Who cares? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> all those departments are there to support the mission. The only thing that those guys should be saying is we got these patents amount out in less than eight months. We got it for less than X amount of dollars. We put out these. We had a backlog of trademarks because, oh, my gosh, everybody's doing this great work. Well, we got it out in our four month window and now it's going forward. Everybody needs to be behind that. Mm -hmm. So techniques that you use for NWOW 
is such that if it's a compliance issue, as an example, well, you can't do that because cybersecurity says this. That's the old ways of working. Mm -hmm. So what did the cybersecurity staff do? They realized that the old compliance ways wouldn't hold true in the new ways of working. It is just too slow. So what do they do? My CISO, Don Watson, and I created something called the lightweight ATO. So instead of doing the full ATO, which takes a year, and instead of giving a conditional ATO where I don't know what it is, but I'll trust you, we're doing something instead of the 300, I'm sorry, instead of the 535 different uh, checkboxes you need to check, we're doing 35 of the most material. Hmm. And so we had an idea and you get a lightweight ATO. And therefore you can, with a little assurance, we can move forward on compliance. It doesn't have to be the full, but it's not nothing. That's being agile. Okay. And so people come to me, we have this whole cybersecurity problem in the federal government. We're not secure enough. And our suppliers are not secure enough. We're getting hit left and right. Yeah. So what we need to do is just like the FDA did, with Project Warp Speed. You can't just accept the old compliance. It's gonna take this long in clinical. It's going to, no, it doesn't. Look what we have. We have the vaccine. We have it because we went against the old standards. We need to do the same thing in cybersecurity, not accept that it takes forever. Do lightweight ATOs, get better and get faster. Get down to the nitty gritty of things mm -hmm. getting done. And okay. NWOW is a lightweight ATL. So that's just one example of many where you can break down the barriers of you can't do that. That's not the way the federal government does it. Well, it's the way we're doing it now. And everybody has a say. I think we should do it this way. I think we should do it that way. Take that into account. And figure out the better way to do it. Yeah, that sounds like a very different team dynamic than you expect to be operating in, you know, we keep saying federal agencies and federal government, but you're not taxpayer supported, you're supported by the fees. So it, it really, the agency's a bit of an oddball, isn't it? In the whole federal, you know, in the federal universe of agencies and the things that they do. Um, we, so we've talked about cybersecurity, cloud smart, the resiliency aspects. Let's not forget to hit on emerging technologies. And that always connects into talent and how you recruit. And these days, how is that going? Is it, is it any easier? Is it more difficult uh, to get the kind of talent you need to work in some of these emerging technologies? Because you, you, know, you, you can't do the, the dojo training and all the updating if you don't have somebody leading those teams. So how are you doing that? So the answer to that question is very carefully, uh, sorry. <laughs> The fact of the matter is, okay, I love what happened. Not only were we great before the pandemic about N-Wave, but right before the pandemic, we were able to recruit an emerging technologist from Facebook, of all places, who had patent bar at 23 years old. His name is Jerry Ma. And I will tell you, he's probably turning red right now because I'm calling him out. But he <laughs> sure is the phenom uh, for emerging technology. He is an AI expert, and he's brought a certain panache to the position where being as young as he is, he's experienced. It's like, well, this young man, he doesn't have the – no, he has a lot more experience than you do, and he's actually delivered things. So listen. Yeah. So it's 
experience that counts. It's the experience in your subject matter expertise that counts even more. And what he's able to do is explain to his grandmother, the business units, mm -hmm. that here's how we're doing artificial intelligence. Here's how we're taking blockchain and maturing it from an immature way to deliver operations to a more maturing process. We can't bet the farm on blockchain because it's not mature enough. We're not going to bet the farm on artificial intelligence because it's not mature enough, but we will use it where it's apropos. We've had great uh, results in the precision of classification using artificial intelligence and the algorithms. We've had even better results introducing new search algorithms to the core of our examiners to the point where artificial intelligence is not meant to replace, it's meant to augment. So not only augment, it actually is customized to the individual examiner's personal preferences. And they store those preferences in a feedback loop that helps them get down to what we're calling the needle in the haystack. Okay. So the tech and that cultural shift is huge. You need to introduce it again in small wins such that you can scale on your successes. Okay. Okay. Well, and uh, that's that's quite that's quite a get to get to get a 23 year old phenomenal talent from Facebook. But you'd mentioned that you also do a lot of recruiting from people that are interested in they're in their second career wave and they're they're in a kind of patriotic wanting to give back sort of mode. Tell us a little bit about that. I can't tell you enough about that. I will say <laughs> people. At the PTO, it's either their second career or they've been here. Yeah. And one of the things about a second career and winding that challenge is the patriotism involved. We are in competition with the world, and we take our duty seriously to get those patents to the intellectual property owners. I mean, we are separated from others by our ability to own our property. We own the intellectual assets that we have. So that and that challenge is taken by a lot of folks who've already done their service, military, uh, policemen, firemen. If they have a cybersecurity background and they're looking for something else to do, it's a great place to retire from mm -hmm. because out on the front lines doing physical activity, you're using your mind. And it's a great place, not only for veterans, but also for second timers. They've done a commercial job. They've gotten their retirement and bored. Hey, come work for the U.S. government, patent office. Do you ever think of that? It's a great place to work. People stay here because it's challenging and the people are awesome. I, I got to tell you, I work with the finest people in all the world. And yeah, I'm proud and all that other stuff. I, mm -hmm. I, 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 they're great. Well, that that's a that's a certainly a wonderful uh, testimonial and um I, I you know i have a number of my brother-in-laws are have were um in the uspo they were postal inspectors and i know that there are all kinds of there are two of them are retired now but there's all kinds of ongoing benefits that's certainly true um the uh let me see as we are wrapping up here jamie i want and i feel like i can just sit back and let you interview yourself because you do a pretty good job of that but i want you to talk a little bit about some of the ideas and the advice that you have found most valuable as a leader over the years. What has been, you know, what, what is the leadership lesson you either keep learning yourself or you keep making sure you pass it on to someone else? 
Yeah, there's a couple that I'd like to share with folks. Uh, the main being, be true to yourself. Um, you have to be genuine in everything you do. And so a lot of times people will come with the dilemma that, you know, your boss just asked you to do something that you're not willing to do. Well, not willing to do it, then you don't belong there. Try to find another job because it's that's not what you should be doing. You should be doing things that you genuinely are interested in because that leadership goes throughout everyone. People know someone who's not genuine like right away. Now, I might have a flamboyant, you know, energetic weight about it, but deep down, I love America, period. Mm -hmm. And my career goes to show that. I don't have to prove that to anybody. I don't care. I know. So that genuine sincerity for, for the job is yeah. known. That's one as a leader. You got to be into it. Number two, it's not about you. <laughs> so many leaders, you know, well, it's my way or the highway. Really? How do people follow you on that one? I mean, the authoritative is good if you've earned their trust because, you know, you saying get down, get on the ground means you don't want them to die from bullets that are coming across, right? Yeah. The fact is you can't use authoritative um, uh, leadership, but only in short-term circumstances. Again, people have to understand the why. So it's not about you, it's about the team. And so once you have that in your head, then you realize the third thing is you, you give the accolades whenever it works and the success belongs to the team. The failures, they all belong to you. <laughs> if you can't do that as a leader, you don't deserve the position. Yeah. Again, this is not because of you. It's because of the team. Mm -hmm. But the failure is due to you, and you need to take that personally. Well, and I think I, I believe from having talked with so many um, CIOs like yourself over the years, that is often the uh, trouble that we have trying to get CIOs, for instance, to apply to an awards program. So a lot of times they, you know, they don't want to, it's all about the team, it's not about them. Um, but I always have to point out, like with our CIO 100 Innovation Award, the, the way we get them to go through the work of filling out the application is to remind everybody that it's really for your team. It's a it's an award for the company. It's not for you personally. Um, I'll bet the USPTO is going to have something that you're applying for this year. Am I right? Yes, I think so. The team's got to be known. There you go. A absolutely. And I also want to pass along a comment. Uh, it wasn't a question so much as a comment from another CIO who was out there listening. He said, it's been a very valuable conversation. I love your passion for your work, Jamie. And I have to absolutely agree with that. It really has been such a pleasure having you here today. Um, I do feel like I didn't have to do very much work. You could get on here and interview yourself and do an equally great job. But thank you for joining us today and being part of CIO Leadership Live. It's really been wonderful, the conversation, Jamie. Mary, friend, I always love speaking to you. You know that it's professional or formal or even informal. I just enjoy your and it's fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, you're so very welcome. If you joined us late today, you can watch my uh, the full episode later on here on LinkedIn and also on CIO.com and YouTube where we are on the IDG Tech Talk channel. CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
And I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Jamie Holcomb even half as much as I did. He's always such a pleasure to, to check in with. And that you'll join me for the next episode of CIO Leadership Live, which will be on Wednesday, December 1st at noon Eastern again, when I will be joined by Sujan Torlapati, who is the CIO of Optive Security. Thanks again for joining us today, and please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk, where you can find all the previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. I don't know if anybody's done this yet, but I've been talking up the idea of binge watching all 75 of my CIO interviews. I feel like anyone who did that would know so much about how to do a great job with one of the greatest jobs out there in technology. Thanks so much again and stay well and we'll see you here next time.